Spirit of the Lord is, there is life, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and the Spirit of the Lord is here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, um, we do so in, in just recognition that, that you are not some God way out there. You are right here in us, amongst us, around us, God. And not because we're deserving of it or worthy to be in your presence, but because you have made us so in Jesus. And so, God, we just sit in that and, and uh, we, we pray, Father, that you continue to open our awareness to your nearness. For the heart that came in this morning that is, that is struggling with, um, with the sense of, of being good enough or worthy enough, God, may you just speak your grace and mercy over them that it's not about their goodness and it's not about their worth. It's about what Jesus has done for them. And for the heart that's, that's struggling to even believe this morning and they're here, God bless them for showing up this morning even in the presence of doubt. God, may your spirit move within them uh, to confirm just how real and beautiful you are. For the hurting heart, for the um, sad heart, for the joyful heart, for the celebratory heart. God, we, all of us, despite who we are, come before you and know that you are our source and what we need most this morning. And so we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. Good morning, church. Hope, hope you are, are well. Uh, my wife and kids are out of town, so I'm just in a funk this morning. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm kind of depressed. Uh, so if I seem melancholy, I'm sorry. I don't sleep well when they're not in, in the house. I don't know what that is. Uh, you would think with it being quieter with no kids there, I would sleep great, but I think I've gotten used to the sounds. Um, but uh, I'm also melancholy for another reason, and I just want to quickly, before we jump into our sermon stuff, I, I want to take a, a, a sidestep here. Um, will you put up the picture of Fort Smith for me? So, um, this is the town I lived in for the past seven years before moving, uh, moving to, to California. And actually, this is at Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's right on the Arkansas River. And due to, to just extraordinary rains uh, and storming that happened from Colorado all the way down into Oklahoma, uh, the Arkansas River is, has crested and broken all records. It's come up well over 40 feet um, and so this neighborhood is actually right by the church where I worked for the last seven years. Uh, it's not on the river. That water is not supposed to be that close. And yet, um, so this is actually a neighborhood that I know quite well and some people that I love uh, quite, quite dearly. Um, that's tough. Can you imagine? I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Some of you may have lived through some natural disasters and having everything um, just, just ruined. So the, the water's actually, this was taken this past Thursday. Um, the water's not supposed to ga go down until next Thursday, um, so they're, they're dealing with that. Um, and then if it continues to rain, there's a chance that it, it might swell up some more. So I've been in talks with uh, my, my past church and pastor there and visiting with them about what can we do. Obviously, I've got a big heart for that. Um, and they, they don't need supplies. They don't need water um, funding they're okay with right now. What they're asking for instead uh, are teams of people to come help muck out houses. I don't know if you know what that means. When, they, when you go into a flooded house, you've got you to get all the water and dirt and, 
and critters that come in when your house becomes part of the river, and then you've got to tear out all of the drywall that, that's been damaged and all that. So um, here's what I'm, I'm asking of you if you, would, uh, if you would pray this through. I'd like to send a team in the next couple of weeks to go to Fort Smith, Arkansas. I don't know the details on that yet. What I want to do now is just ask if you, for, for interest. If you are interested and willing to give up a few of your days uh, during a week or a weekend, we can piece it together as those who are interested. We'll see when the best availability is. It needs to be in the next couple of weeks just because that's when their biggest needs will be um, and, and would, would just be blessed. The people are exhausted there. They, they prepped and coming for the flood and then now they're, they're dealing with it. So many people displaced right now. Uh, the city doesn't have that many hotels that they can hold everybody. I mean, it's, it's a bad time. Um, so uh, if you are interested, I, out in the hub after this service, uh, Colleen Whitlaw will be out there at, with, with a sign-up sheet. If you're willing to, to, to go uh, <coughs> and be a part of that, um, and, and you don't have to have any skills, if you can, if you can throw out buckets of water and, and, and carry stuff, you can do it. Um, if you're willing to give up that, if you'll sign, sign up with Colleen, if, if, if you can't go, but you feel led to give to help that team go financially, because it's going to take cost to get them there and supplies and whatnot, if you're willing to give to that, um, uh, let, let me know, or you can let the office know and, and give towards that. Somebody asked me that just, just a while ago, um, and we'd love to send a team uh, to be out there. So that's your pastor asking for your help for people that I love is what that is. So uh, I know we're not anywhere close to Arkansas, but my heart is there right now. And I can't imagine what, what worship looks like there right now at that church. So, Whew. All right. I'm going to try to jump off that heavy note and let's preach, shall we? <laughs> Hey, so we are week two or week three into our, our participants series on the book of Acts. And uh, I've enjoyed the first couple of weeks, had lots of good conversations with many of you as, as we are dealing with the Holy Spirit in and, 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 and full force as he showed up last week on Pentecost Sunday, as we saw uh, in, in, in our reading last week. And if you'll remember, the Holy Spirit comes and they're having this massive time of worship uh, the Holy Spirit is moving in a very physical way. Uh, you see the Holy Spirit moving so much so that the, the a massive mighty wind is blowing through that area. It makes a big sound. You see tongues of fire. We, we, we walked through all of that last week. If you weren't, weren't here last week that's available online, I encourage you to go and see that. There's all sorts of Old Testament uh, prophecies that were fulfilled in that. There's a lot of Old Testament foreshadowing that it was fulfilled in the Holy Spirit's coming. It was, it, it was an amazing moment. Uh, moment in the history of God and mankind together as God is once again restoring his Holy Spirit to his people who once again are now holy people because of what Jesus has done. It's a miraculous event. And so God's presence and God's people are reunited. If you'll remember, part of the miraculous events of, of Pentecost was as they are worshiping in the Spirit, there, there are, are crowds around them uh, out in the temple courts area, thousands of people that are in town because it's a, a Jewish festival. And though they all hail from different parts of the region and speak different languages, they overhear the worshiping that is happening in the upper room and they hear it in their individual languages. And it's part of the miraculous event of that Sunday. So despite all the different, and, 
and Acts 2 list all these different nations that these people were from and the different languages, and yet they heard, despite their diversity, they heard oneness in the Holy Spirit as they begin to hear the praises of God uh, being, being given, which is a beautiful thing in and of itself. And, but some of them, it said, they thought that the people were just drunk, all right? And so that's where we left off last Sunday as we saw the Holy Spirit stirring. And so this Sunday, we are continuing on in Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 14. And this is the very first sermon ever preached in church. I mean, this, this is it. This is, the, this is the, how church started right here. Um, and so it actually goes from verse 14 all the way to verse 41. It's okay. We're not going to read all of that but we're going to read a lot of that, okay? So I'll skip a little center section here, but I think for us this morning, it's okay that if we just, can we have some scripture reading time and we'll walk through this? This is Peter preaching and their response, and I think all of it is something we need to pay attention to. So here we go, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love that. As though if it were nine at night, different story. It's nine in the morning, right? Calm down. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the, the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that. Here's a little section we'll skip. He quotes some Psalms and David. Jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and other apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 
were added to their number that day. Wow. That's a response to a sermon, right? <laughs> 3,000 people showed up that day and accepted Christ. My wife's not here, so I will brag on her. I like bragging on her when she is here, but um, she's not, she might be embarrassed by that. My wife is the hardest working person I've ever met in my life. And she just has a motor that goes and goes and goes and goes. And whether it's with work or with the house or with the family, from the moment that you can coerce her out of bed with a bucket of coffee, right, until the moment that you can coerce her actually to go down to sleep and, and stop, she goes and goes and goes and goes. And she's almost like those wind-up toys, you know, that you'd wind up and then you sit down and, they, and she that is her. She is, she's just wound and she goes. And it's amazing. We've joked in our family that she's talking me a work ethic, and I've taught her a rest ethic. I don't know, I don't, I don't know if a rest ethic is a thing, but I'm good at that, so that's, that's what I have to offer, right? A play ethic, and, and she, she goes, and it doesn't matter if she shows up, if she's in a situation, she's, you'll see her busy. She's working, and one, why I bring that up is, is that's the picture I have of the Holy Spirit, of it doesn't take but an hour for the Holy Spirit to be with God's people, and boom, the first sermon is preached. And within the very first day, 3,000 people come to Christ. And on the very first day of the Spirit being here, the church begins. Boom. The Spirit gets to work immediately. Immediately. And that's something that we need to, as a church, as Christians, we need to see within this text. Is that all of the effectiveness of church, all of the effectiveness of God's people is completely built not on our busy work, but on the Holy Spirit's busy work. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that establishes, that empowers the church to do what it does in the world, right? And we got to hear that. And maybe I'm preaching to my own heart because as a pastor, I have sat in so many ministry meetings where I have been uh, talking creative ideas and, and vision and what we're going to do in the future. Can I just confess something to you? As an organization, it's quite easy to lead the church without the Holy Spirit. And you can get a charismatic speaker and a good band and folks show up. But life change doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. We don't measure the effectiveness of the church by the number of folks that are excited about it necessarily. Because it's quite capable and it's happening right now all over to be excited about a place. And yet the Holy Spirit is not in that place stirring with its power. Does that make sense? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes the church the church. And it's built out of that from the very beginning. And so what I want to do this morning is to study the work that the Holy Spirit does this morning. And he is at work. I see three different areas that he's working. First, he's working in the messenger. I love who God chooses to preach the first sermon. I love this. Peter. Peter. 50 days before, in these very same temple courts, you found Peter denying Jesus and running and hiding in fear, right? 
That, we know the story on Easter when three times he's in the Sanhedrin's having their meeting and Jesus is in front of him and, and they confront Jesus, uh, Peter, hey, you're a follower of Jesus and Peter is scared to death and Peter denies Jesus and he runs and hides. 50 days later in front of the same crowd in the same temple courts, he stands up and I love what it says. He stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice. He's not running and hiding, and he preaches Jesus, and he preaches Jesus boldly. And this is after seeing what they did to Jesus. What changes in Peter? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changes everything. It changes him from fearful to bold. It changes him from ineffective in his following of Jesus to effective. It it, it changes him from just a mere fisherman to an evangelist of Jesus Christ. I love this. And it's something that we need to see because God can use anybody. He can use anybody. Look who this is. is, He's a fisherman. He's a tradesman. He didn't go to theology school. God, do you remember when when Jesus, Peter is, by the way, the first to confess Jesus as Christ. It's in in the Gospels. Jesus asked the question, hey, who do people say I am? And he says, oh, some people say you're John John the Baptist or you're, you're Elijah. He says, who do you say I am? And Jesus, and Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior. And Jesus says, bingo. And his name at that point is Simon. He says, Simon, I'm changing your name to Peter, Petra, which means rock. And because on this rock, I will build my church. And this, that was a foreshadowing back into this very first sermon. And I love this because Jesus knew when he made that promise to Peter that in between that promise and when Peter would stand up would be Peter's biggest shame, his denying Jesus. And yet he still knew, I'm going to be using you, Peter, because God can use anybody. And he's not some theologian. He's a discipled fisherman. That's who he is. And God says, hey, you know what? I'm going to disciple you through Jesus and the word, and then I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm releasing you. Go start the church. Boom. Which ought to lay on all of us. I remind myself frequently as a preacher that in the Old Testament, God used a donkey to preach, right? (laughs) Donkey spoke to Balaam. God could use anybody, right? There's nothing special about the preacher, right? <laughs> he continues to, there's so many jokes I could make there. I'm going to refrain. But he could use anybody, and that's the point. You don't have to be, by the way, by the way, there's never a point when a Christian ought to say to God, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because what that's effectively telling God is that, God, I don't think you're powerful enough to overcome my inadequacies and fear. That's what we're really saying. And Jesus, God has to be sitting in heaven and goes, tell me again. Remind me, I spoke creation into being. Remind me, I rose my son from the dead. You believe those two things. Now tell me again how I can't overcome your inadequacies. Right? Is God powerful or is he powerful? So then he says, I put my spirit inside of you, and the spirit has one goal, to bear witness to Jesus Christ, which means that God can use and is wanting to use and has already equipped the church so that all can be used for the gospel's purpose in this world. Everybody, which means the question is this, not should you be involved in gospel ministry, but where and how should you be involved in gospel ministry? That ought to be the question that drives you. That ought to be a question that drives me. 
that it, to be a believer, whether I am, I am on staff as a church or I'm not on staff as a church, if I'm a believer, the same Holy Spirit is inside of me for the same purpose to equip me for gospel ministry. And that might look differently as me as a staff person than it looks for you as, as a lay person, but we're both called and equipped with the very same spirit for the very same purpose. And God did not call me to this stage because I have something different than what you have. We are both broken people saved by Jesus, filled with his spirit, right? And so the calling on all of us is God can use anybody. Where are you involved in ministry? Where and how? Are you a participant? I love that he chooses Peter, and he starts his holy work there in Peter. By the way, I don't want, I don't want to let that moment go without you responding to that. that I, I'm serious that I think that ought to drive us. I, we, have, we talked several, weeks ago, or several months ago about our vision as a church to, to build, make disciples and build leaders and start churches, that this is where we go. But that is a vision that's built off of God's people, empowered by God's Spirit, going to work for God's ministry, right? And it's a shift. It's a shift. That's a shift in your understanding of what it means to be a part of a church. Because let's be honest, it's just far more convenient to come and sit and listen, right? But actuality, what I think church is and what I think my role is, is that I think I'm a coach and you're players and you're called to play the game. Does that make sense? And so this is equipping time. This is coaching time. Now let's get out there and get going. And so it ought to drive you. If, you. if you can't answer the question as a believer right now, I am involved in ministry by doing blank, then I think it, it is God's calling on you in this moment in your life to fill in that blank. Ask him, right? How are you involved in ministry? It's God's calling. And your answer can't be, I can't do these things. Oh yeah? You have the spirit of the powerful God who speaks creation and being inside of you, right? So he uses a lowly fisherman to preach the first sermon. And then he, he moves not only in the messenger, he moves powerfully in the message. I love, by the way, when, when he begins to preach, he, he immediately begins quoting scripture. He goes immediately to the prophet Joel in the, in the section that we skipped. He goes to the, to the Psalms and he quotes David. He quotes two different Psalms, in fact, in that. And that's something that we need to hear that from the beginning, good preaching is always built off of Scripture. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God will never disagree, right? And those two things go hand in hand. And the church is built off the combination of the Word of God being enlightened and empowered by the Spirit of God. Which says to you, by the way, when you sit down and you read scripture that is fully within your right to look to God, whose spirit is inside of you, and say, Spirit of God, will you make this word come alive and make sense to my heart? Which is a change of how you read. You're not just reading a words on a page. You're saying, God, this is your word. This is different than every other book. You, you use the word. It's powerful and effective for reproof and correction and changing. This is a living, breathing word from you, God. And so I pray that your spirit, that the same spirit that inspired the authors to write these words is now living within me. So would you then enlighten me to understand these words that I'm reading? Does that make sense? And as believers, you have the right to do that. That's a total 
aside to the sermon, but here you go. The Spirit of God is using the Word of God, and he immediately begins quoting Scripture. And he says, they're not drunk. This is a fulfillment here. Verse 17, he begins to quote Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit and all the people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. He's saying, this is what's happening. They're not up there drinking. This is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And what he's saying is not just teaching them what is happening in the upper room. He's also starting his sermon by teaching them why it's happening in the upper room. Because as a Jewish crowd, they would have been familiar with the prophet Joel. You might not be. I, 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 I wouldn't have been familiar. You go read the book of Joel, and it's all about judgment. The entire book is about God's judgment on his people. And in the middle of that, in the last days, it is promised that God would pour out his, spe- his spirit on his people. So what, what he is doing in that moment is saying, hey, this is a fulfillment to the promise that God made that there is a God who sits on his throne and he will judge humanity. And so you should see this, he's saying, as the last days. This is, this is the Spirit of God being poured out on his people in the upper room. And then he goes on to preach Jesus. He says, men of Israel, listen, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 22, was, was a man accredited to you by, by miracles. And these were the same crowds, by the way, who would have been there and chanted Hosanna when Jesus came marching in. The same crowds that would have have chanted crucify him when he was up. The same crowds that were probably at the cross and watched him die. The same crowds that were now dealing with with the rumors that were spreading that people are seeing the resurrected Jesus. And they're trying to make sense of this. And so Peter stands up and says, I'll tell you who Jesus is. And he preaches... He says, this man, verse verse 23, was was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Talking about boldness. This is the same Peter that hid. He's not hiding now. And but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep and hold him down. And he jumps forward to to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So what he's doing for the very first time is, I think, what Jesus did for him in the 50 days in between. He said, let me connect the dots for you, shall we? And he begins to explain, there is a God who sits on his throne as judge. He will judge all of mankind according to what they have done. And so he sent Jesus in as his uh, a Messiah to be the Savior over that. And this Jesus is that Messiah. Let me connect the dots for you. This is what is happening. This is what you are observing, he's saying. It's powerful stuff. And in the aftermath of that... Not only is the Spirit of God at work within Peter and with work within the message, he's at work within the people listening to the message. And look at their response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart with conviction? You ever felt that? Let me show you what Jesus says in, about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit... He will prove to the world, uh, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
John 16, 8. Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, when the Holy Spirit comes, referring to this day, when the Holy Spirit comes, when he shows up, his job will be that he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I like the way one commentator put it. He said, sin is the truth about man, righteousness is the truth about God, and judgment is the inevitable combination of the two. Right? That, that the Holy Spirit's going to show up And it's his job. By the way, it's not Peter's job and it's not my job to convince anybody about sin and righteousness and judgment. It's our job to preach the truth. By the way, it's not your job to convince your family member. It's not your job to convince your friend, your coworker. You're not the Holy Spirit. Which says oftentimes the best thing you can do for that unbeliever in your life is to just pray the Holy Spirit moves. And when you have opportunity to speak truth, speak truth but you're not going to convince anybody into the kingdom of God. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do that, right? And so the Holy Spirit is coming to do these things. Can we just get honest real quick? None of us likes that last word, judgment. Oh, we like the idea of judgment when it comes to those evil people out there. But nobody likes the idea of judgment about ourselves. That makes us all uncomfortable. It would be far more convenient, and in fact, if you check most of our times that we think about God, it's far more convenient just to not think that there is a judge. It's far more convenient to not think that there is a a moral righteousness up in heaven that says, here is the standard of what is perfectly right, and everything outside of that is wrong, and I will judge everything according to that standard one day, And, and that he gets to set that, not humanity. That That makes us all uncomfortable. And so what happens is, when we don't preach judgment, we don't need a Savior. I want you to hear that, because what is Jesus saving us from? You see the flow of of, of Peter's sermon. He says, there will be a judge. This is the proof that the last days of it are coming. It's about to happen. Therefore, you need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And then they ask, okay, how do we have that? That's the flow of the sermon. But if you remove the first part of judgment, then why in the world do we need Jesus as a Savior? We don't. Because what is Jesus saving us from? Our sins? In a sense, he's, but he's ultimately saving us from judgment for our sins. Right? And so when you remove the idea, and we don't talk about judgment as a church, and we don't mention it to the world out there because that makes people feel uncomfortable, and there's disagreement on who gets to be the judge, and we go, I'm not the judge. I believe there is a righteous judge, and it's the God of the Bible, and he has set, he has set that tone from the beginning that this is who he is. But if you remove that, then you reduce Jesus. And who does Jesus become? A self-help coach? A life coach? That you can have your best life now. And Jesus can be the avenue for you to have your best life. Does Jesus want you to have a good life? He promises abundant life, John 10, 10. But do you know the avenue to an abundant life? Through recognizing that you need a savior because there is a judge and you stand guilty. And that makes all of us uncomfortable. I understand that. But truth doesn't cease to be true just because it's uncomfortable and inconvenient. Right? And Jesus will not be reduced into a self-help coach. He is the Savior. And the reason we need a Savior is because there is a judge. And judgment's coming. 
And that makes me equally as uncomfortable to say as it makes you uncomfortable to hear. But that doesn't make it any less true. That's, that's what the church was all built on. And any preaching and any time we try to turn church into anything less than that, we move away from the very foundation that the first church was started on. Jesus preached a sermon through Peter. And the sermon was, judgment's coming. You need a savior. God provides a savior. His name is Jesus. And how do they respond? How do they respond? They are cut to the heart. And they come to him and they say, Peter, what should we do? And Peter's response is this. Repent. Repent and be baptized. Put your faith in Jesus. The idea of repent is not just telling God I'm sorry for messing up. It is a full scale plead guilty before God and ask for God's help. Does that make sense? Say, judge, I'm guilty. I deserve punishment. And the crazy message of the gospel is that God had sent punishment and he poured it out on his own son. That's what it means that he's the Messiah. And so when you accept that and you repent and you're baptized into the name of Jesus, then this life, this abundant, full life, is given to us in the Holy Spirit. So here's where I want to end now. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And in my opinion, I think we have one or two responses to this. We will either feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which we're about to ask to show up and convict where we need to be convicted, we will either feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and try to ignore it and push it down and not deal with what he convicts us over. Or, like the first 3,000 people of the church, forgetting who is in the crowd, who cares about that, we respond and we say yes to Jesus. We repent. We turn. Does that make sense? Those are the two responses. That's it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this morning for the Holy Spirit to show up in our room and convict each of us where we need to be convicted. You know, I used to find conviction as terrible. Now I see it as one of the greatest gifts of God. God's gift of, of stirring up and showing you, hey, I'm here, I'm real, and here's an area of your life that you need to change and you need me to work in. If you were to go home today and you turn on your stove and you forget that your stove top is on and you get close to almost touching something that will vastly damage you, what would you feel before you ever touched it? Huh? Heat. And that feeling of heat would keep you from touching that which would damage you. Does that make sense? And the Spirit of God will stir in this room because I'm convinced that all of us have areas in our life where we are entertaining sin, where we don't need to be entertaining sin. And the Spirit of God wants to warn us before it completely destroys us because the end of sin in our life is destruction, according to James. 
And the Spirit of God wants to show up in this room. Some of you, the response will be that you're already a believer and you need to allow God to deal with you. Others of you may not be believers. So I want to invite you to a couple of things. If you're not a believer this morning, or even if you are and you're just wanting some prayer to process what, what God is about to do in your heart, then outside of these doors, as you hang a left, you'll see a sign that says prayer room. It points you immediately into what is our library where we're using as a prayer room this morning. And one of our elders will be there. If you are ready to receive Christ as your Savior to repent, or if you need prayer through all of that, I highly encourage you, don't wait. Respond and go. Go. Leaving this room. 3,000 people. There were more than those that were there that day. But 3,000 said, to heck with what everybody else is thinking. I'm responding to what the Spirit is doing in my life. You respond. You go. We'll love to walk you through receiving Christ as your, as your Lord. If you just need prayer and what's going on in your life, some redirection, we'd love to offer that at that time too. You can go during the song, after service, but respond. Let's stand together. And I'm not going to try to emotionally manipulate us into any kind of moment here. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show up. To convict where it needs to be convicted. Holy Spirit, we ask that of you this morning, my heart included. Convict us, God. Show us where we are in the wrong. Where we need to repent and lean into Jesus. As the psalmist says, God, show us any unclean way inside of us. Lead us unto the path of life for righteousness' sake. Holy Spirit, show up. Convict the husband of life change that needs to happen within his heart. Convict the wife of life change that needs to happen in her heart. Convict the son, the daughter, the friend grandparent we give ourselves before you God do your work your gracious beautiful life giving life altering work and grant us the courage within to respond to you fully as they did God cut us to our heart because we believe God that you do that out of love we hear it thank you for Jesus